Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. If we haven't met, my name's Trevor, and I just want to spend a couple minutes talking about the passages from the Bible we read, in particular that one from the book of Revelation. You'll find it on page 8 in your order of service, and if, if you're a Spanish speaker, speaker, you know that the name of that book is Apocalypsis. Um, that's the Spanish translation. If you look there, if you're an English speaker, you'll see that. And it's the word apocalypse, which means the end. And when the Bible was re- being written, it didn't mean like a scary doom and gloom sort of end, but that's kind of how we use the word apocalypse now, isn't it? I was actually listening to a podcast a few weeks ago from This American Life, and it was called Apocalypse Creep. Not someone who's like a creep about the apocalypse, but the, the way that the, the future kind of creeps in to the present. And they started with a story um, from the town of Pacifica in California. And so this woman named Jane told the story of how one night she went to bed in her house with a beautiful view overlooking the Pacific Ocean. This was in 1998. And she woke up the next morning and stretched and yawned and looked out the window and her backyard was gone. It was like a 40 foot long backyard. Here's some pictures from Pacifica. I know it's a tough angle for some of you, sorry about that. But the cliff had just eroded in the, in the middle of the night. She went to her kitchen window and she looked over at her bedroom and it was just hanging over the cliff 70 feet below her. That year had uh, stronger El Nino currents than normal, so that part of California knew that there could be more erosion, but they did not think it was a very real risk. In fact, two weeks before this happened to Jane, she threw a party for her neighborhood, an El Nino party. And so all of her neighbors were in that backyard celebrating. They all wore flotation devices and they were drinking and dancing, um, celebrating what they were certain was not going to be a risk for them anytime soon. And two weeks later, 10 of their houses were destroyed from El Nino. The podcast goes on to talk about even just a few years ago, a open house at a house that was for sale where the cliff had encroached within a foot of the garage. So like, here's the garage, step this way to your car, (laughs) and there's the cliff, and people were still bidding for it like crazy. There was a mayor recently of Pacifica who tried to say, hey, let's have a plan. We should maybe, it's been happening for 30 years, let's have a plan for how to deal with this erosion. They voted him out of office. And so the narrator on This American Life, this is her conclusion. She says that we all live some sort of version of this story. The details, the distractions, even the delights or pleasures of our present make it very hard to think about any possible risk in the future. We'll just leave that for our future selves to figure out, right? I know I do that leading up to Easter. Some of you got emails from me saying, I will think about that after Easter, if that's okay with you. We do that, don't we? The, the, the pressing details of our present day kind of push away thinking about the end, either the end of our life or the end of our world. When was the last time you thought about that? Is that something you think about regularly? What will happen when I die? What will that feel like in those moments before? What will happen in those moments after? 
I want to show you a, a couple other pictures because I, I, want to, I want to wonder with you, what if our future, what if the apocalypse is not a disaster? What if it is redemption? What if what's creeping towards us from the future is not the destruction of all things, but it's the restoration of all things? What if as we look forward, we look forward not simply to death, but what if you could look forward to resurrection? This is a picture of my bathroom on December 27th this year. It's a little outdated. There were some leaks underneath the, uh, the sink. And one thing led to another, and this is a photo of my bathroom on the 28th. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, apocalypse right there in my house, right? Um, but you know what? This is the photo I took yesterday of my bathroom. It's going okay, isn't it? It's looking all right. All right. And let me tell you, if I knew that it was going to end anywhere close to like this, it would have made my January, February, and March a lot less stressful. I would have had a lot less anxiety if I knew I wasn't going to ruin everything, if I wasn't going to flood my house or start a fire, if I wasn't going to destroy my bathroom, if I knew it was going to end not in destruction but in restoration, I might have actually been able to enjoy the process a little bit. And, and let me tell you, it was touch and go for a long time. It could have gone either way. What if the end coming closer could be a good thing? What if the end is a new beginning? For those of us who believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave, we believe that that means that when we die, we don't stay dead. And if that's not one of the most absurd things you've ever heard, then I don't think you're listening. We believe that because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that means when we as humans die, we don't have to stay dead. And do you know what that future reality means for us now? Joy. Deep breath of relief, joy. Get up and dance, joy. Resurrection, joy. And I want you... I want to invite you into the joy of the resurrection this morning. And the joy of the resurrection does not ignore our suffering. As a church, we do not ignore suffering. When we go through it, we care for one another. When we see it in the world, we enter in. We lament injustice. We work toward healing and restoration. And when Jesus sees suffering, he does not ignore it. He enters into it so that by his suffering, he can transform it. But here's what the resurrection means about our suffering. It means that because the suffering of Jesus, he has made our suffering temporary and our joy eternal. Because of the suffering of Jesus, our suffering will not last forever, but our joy will. Because of his tears on the cross, our tears will be wiped away. Because of the wounds in his hands and feet, our wounds will be healed. Because of his suffering and death did not defeat him, that means our suffering and our death don't have to defeat us. Hallelujah. And so in this book of, of the Bible about the end, Revelation, it describes Jesus as, in verse 5, the firstborn of the dead. He's been dead and he's been reborn back into life. And he's just the first. The firstborn of the dead means there will be a secondborn of the dead. 
and there will be a third born of the dead. And all of us who put our faith in his death and resurrection will be born again into new life. He is the firstborn of the dead. And we believe that Jesus actually, really, literally rose from the dead. You know, there's more reliable ancient sources for the resurrection of Jesus than just about any other historical event that happened. Dozens, even hundreds of witnesses of it who all believed it so strongly they gave their lives and died for it. And throughout the, the centuries, different historians and different um, uh, intellectuals and, and critics and atheists have gone and, and tried to see, is there anything about the historical documents or sources that would lead us to, to disbelieve the resurrection? And there really isn't. Time and time again, the conclusion is, no, these are reliable sources. And so in the last uh, 100 years, as we've seen the rise of psychology, there was another theory put forward that would account for how reliable the sources were and, and the fact that everyone died for this thing that, that you know, might not have happened. And so they called it the hallucination theory, that dozens or even uh, hundreds of people had the same hallucinations of seeing Jesus at the same time, and so that's why their sources are credible, that's why they would die for it. Well, in 2001, an atheist named Gary Habermas wanted to see how likely that would be. What are the odds that this would happen? And so he wrote a paper called Hallucination Theories to Explain Jesus' Resurrection. And here's his conclusion. He concluded that the hallucination theory is less defensible than the theory that Jesus had a secret twin brother no one knew about. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? I love that. I love that partly because I, I like mystery detective fiction, and one of the, the main rules of, of mystery uh, stories is that they, the mystery can't be solved by someone having a twin brother. It just doesn't count. Really, the only sound argument against Jesus' resurrection is just that we've never seen one before or since. <laughs> it, that it'd have to be a miracle. But Jesus himself says that th this was the plan all along. We heard the angels say it to the women at the tomb. Jesus said it to, to all of his followers, men and women, a little bit later. He says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you will be witnesses of these things. That is the most gracious I told you so in all of history. I told you I was going to die. I was going to come back on the third day, and you were going to see it all happen. And so Revelation calls him the faithful witness. Jesus is saying, I was dead. Trust me, I was there. And I rose again. It's real. He's the living proof. The end of that verse, 5 of Revelation 1, he says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Resurrection joy doesn't ignore suffering or death. It transforms it through Jesus' suffering and death. He suffers on purpose to forgive our sins so that we can be raised from the dead again. And he does it because of his love for us. And so Jesus' resurrection brings us resurrection joy today.
Look at verse 8 with me. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Now don't worry, those aren't new COVID variants. Those are just Greek letters, don't worry. It's just the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last one. It's just the first variant and the last one. Um, I don't know what they do when they run out of Greek letters. Hopefully we won't find out. But he's just saying, I'm the beginning and the end. The rest of that verse says, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Listen, suffering and death was and is, but through the resurrection, it is not to come. Suffering and death does not have a future. Jesus does, and all who believe in him do. Our joy is based not only on the past traumatic experiences we've had, not, not on our current difficulties and sufferings, but on the fact that we have a future and death does not. Hallelujah. Our resurrection is like living in the Midwest and planning a trip down south in March. You can make it through February if you're counting the days until you have your toes in the sand and a drink in your hand, right? But it's even better than that because the warm breezes and white beaches of Florida and Mexico and Puerto Rico, they stay there. But the joy of the resurrection is creeping in. It's coming close. It's coming to us today. Jesus brings the white shores and warm breezes of his life and resurrection and joy to us today. And when we enter into that joy and celebrate, we taste a little bit of the future. This is why celebration and feasting in the church is so healing. Because in the Lord, your future self, <laughs> come on, in the Lord, your future self feasts all the time never gets tired of celebrating Jesus, never stops worshiping him for his death and resurrection. And so when we feast today, a little bit of your future you rubs off on your present you and you become more of your future you. Hallelujah. And so we enter into the feast and we see the resurrection coming in and coming close. That's why we celebrate. Because we have a future, but death does not. Praise the Lord. And you can enter into the joy of that resurrection this morning. You can believe in Jesus, the firstborn of the dead, the faithful witness, the one who is and was and is to come. You can give your life to him and let his death free you from your sin, bring you forgiveness and joy in this life and resurrection from the dead and healing in the life to come. The end does not have to be a slow creep of the apocalypse. It can be the slow healing of a new day in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus today and let the joy of the Lord be your strength. Maybe you've done that before, but this morning or this week or this last season, it hasn't felt real. The belief in the resurrection of Jesus, the joy of the Lord, it's been hard to access for you. I want to invite you this morning to make the joy of the Lord your strength, to enter into that celebration, to enter into that future self, to celebrate and to feast with Jesus. And you know, that looks different for everybody. Not everyone has to dance or shout or or sing or laugh. 
We've got an old saying in the Anglican church. It goes like this. It goes, everyone may. Everyone's invited. No one must. No one has to. Everyone's different. But some should. It'd probably be good for some of us to do a little bit more dancing and celebration with our bodies. Now, you get to decide that. None of us are going to decide that. That's up to you. All may, none must, some should. And I have been praying for this morning, this prayer, since uh, Fernando, one of, our, one of our members, prayed this on our day of prayer and fasting several weeks ago. I've been praying that we would recover a sense of childlike joy in the Lord. There's a theologian named Alexander Schmemann, and I like him because that name is amazing, and he has some good things to say too. And he says this, he says, the church is joy. Hallelujah. The church is joy. It is heaven on earth. It is the future in the present. It is the joy of recovered childhood, free, uninhibited joy, and that alone is capable of transforming the world. The church is joy. And this morning, we don't want to just think about joy or talk about joy. We want to be joy. We want to be the church that is joy. And when we see our children worshiping in joy, we don't patronize them and say, oh, isn't that sweet? No, we say, I want to join you. How can I do that? And we enter in with them and we discover something that we did not know we had lost and that we will one day be fully again. Joy. Because in our joy, we meet the one who is pure joy. No one feasts like Jesus. No one celebrates like Jesus. No one sings and laughs and dances and smiles like Jesus does. Right before his death, the night before, he says to his disciples, as they're having communion together, he says, I won't have this feast until we feast together in the kingdom of God. He was lamenting that it would be a while, but he knew that the future is a feast. And he couldn't wait. And when you die, and you come back to life in Jesus, and you see him face to face, you will want to feast too. So let's keep the feast. Let's celebremos la fiesta this morning. Because look, he is coming on the clouds. He is the faithful witness. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the one who is and who was and who will be. And he is the resurrected one. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.